You're listening to the Script Lab Podcast. I'm Shaney Edwards. Sophia Takal is the director and co-writer of the new Blumhouse film, Black Christmas. She co-wrote the script with April Wolf, based on the original film from 1974. The jump scares in this movie had me screaming in the theater. But beyond checking off all the classic slasher tropes, Black Christmas is also a conversation about where men and women stand post the hashtag MeToo movement. For Sophia, her goal wasn't just to make a successful horror movie. She wanted it to be about something deeper. We talk about the original film, the specific weaponry used in this film, and she explains to me what a scold's bridle is. It's deliciously dark, (laughs) but first, let's hear a clip. It's my privilege to teach you this semester. Enjoy your winter breaks and Merry Christmas. Sup, ladies? Excited for tonight? It is our last day of our last fall semester of college ever. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jump, 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 jump. Jingle bells ring and jingle bells ring. Can you take a photo of all of us? Of course. Where's Helena? She was tying back a sodas earlier, but she looked really good. Cheese. We shouldn't have let her go back by herself. She's fine. Come on, live a little. Helena hasn't gotten home yet. If I were missing, I'd want you to unleash the bloodhounds and track me down. She was at DKO last night. Still creating problems, huh, right? Hello? Hello? I'm worried that something bad happened. It's winter break. Could just be a delay of some sort. Snow. My friend is missing. Nine times out of ten, the girl's just with a boyfriend. I will bring you to your knees. Hi, Sophia. Hi. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So Black Christmas was a wonderful, fabulous, uh, feminist forward slasher movie. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about your relationship uh, with the original and how, if it inspired you in this one. I'm a huge fan of the original Black Christmas. I think it is such a well-done film. It's scary, it's artful in the way it it depicts violence, um, and the female characters in that movie are so well-drawn and so funny, and their relationships are so lively. And so it was really exciting to me to have an opportunity to take a movie that felt so fresh and contemporary at the time it was made and and reimagine it for 2019. That's great. And you wrote this film, too, Mm -hmm. with April Wolf. Yeah. Maybe you could tell me about how you guys got together and decided to work on this. Um, So I had been aware of April's work as a film critic for a while. She'd seen another movie I did called Always Shine and had written a really... It was a good review, but it was also like a really interesting and astute review. Um, and, and I thought she just like was such a sharp uh, observer of film. And then we we met um, at a screening of another Blumhouse project that I worked on. And after that meeting, she sent me a script that she'd written. Um, and I was struck by how I mean, as she's just an incredible writer, both as a critic and as a screenwriter. Um, and when I was 
when Blumhouse approached me, I, I started writing on my own. Um, and I was really struggling to figure out how to make a slasher movie in 2019 that felt fresh and new and exciting, not just in terms of the characters, but also the structure of the movie itself. Um, so I sent a script, a draft to April, and I was just like, look, I'm really struggling. I can't figure out how to make this feel like something more than just a slasher movie um, or like more than, you know, it just felt like the same old, same old. And so she wrote it and sent me a really thoughtful email back with asking a lot of questions about different directions I could take the movie, the script. And, and then I said, you know what? How about instead of like me just listening to your questions and writing it, how would you like to come and help me co-write it? Um, and she said yes, which I was very grateful for. And we we decided to focus on how to make a movie that felt modern and fresh and contemporary and fun and scary, um, that had something to say about what it is to be a woman, um, and that moved the slasher genre forward um, as well. Well, I, I think you really did that. <laughs> um, it's so interesting to me uh, to see the projects that are coming out post hashtag me too. Mm -hmm. I'm writing a, a comedy that deals with those elements too, and it's really tricky. Yeah, like you have to really find the right path yeah. to, to deal with that. Let's talk about the sisterhood in this film because that really struck me as, oh my gosh, I would love to be in the sorority. <laughs> I'm not, I didn't, was never in a sorority, but yeah. if they were like that, right. <laughs> I would definitely want to be in that. Well, yeah, it was interesting. When Blumhouse approached me about the project, I'd already made three films about women hating each other and like being pitted against one another. And at the time that they approached me, which was early this year, early 2019, I was feeling like you were saying, like after the Me Too era movement had begun and kind of the way women were galvanizing together and finding strength in their communal voices, I really wanted to make a movie where women weren't each other's enemies and like something else was their enemy. And so, you know, I think there's like, because all the characters are so specific and have their own specific points of view, there's like different ideas of how to operate in the world and there's conflicts between the women, but it's not about women hating each other or not wanting to each, each other to succeed. It's about women like coming together, wanting the best for one another. And maybe they don't always know how to elicit the best from their friends, but at the end of the day, they like know how to fight for one another and have each other's backs. Well, for me, it really set up how this movie was gonna end. Like I knew right away that they were gonna fight and they were gonna protect each other. Just from their relationship, you know, seeing the girls, to the women together. Um, so I thought that was really well done. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Hawthorne College. <laughs> what is going on at Hawthorne College? Uh, well, you know, Hawthorne College College represents to me, or I guess not all of Hawthorne College, but, you know, there's this, like, I think that there's an interesting conversation going on right now in terms of, like, free speech on campus and what that means and whose opinions are valid and whose opinions aren't and what you know, what does it mean to have a well-rounded education and what books should we be reading and, you know, who, what are the authors we should be learning about or you know, the great thinkers and who decides who those thinkers are. And I think Hawthorne College represents in 2019 what a lot of colleges are going and universities are going through right now, which is like a restructuring uh, of higher education and a restructuring of the ideas of what constitutes uh, literature and art and history and who's telling the stories um, so it's about the growing pains that I think a lot of places places and people are going through right now 
Okay, you have it's a fictional character, Sam, Sam Calvin. Calvin Hawthorne, yeah. Calvin Hawthorne, yeah. And he's this... the founder of the university, and he represents this kind of old school masculinity, white supremacist masculinity, uh, where like you know the white man. He he's from the 1800s, so back then it was like a more normal way of thinking. But like, you, you know, he's someone who believes that men are are the ones who should be in charge. He vehemently believes that a woman's place is in the home as, and as a and a, as a subservient to men, um, and he becomes a sort of totem for his his you know his statue and his aura and his presence on campus, even though he's long dead. becomes a totem for the boys of DKO, which is the founders fraternity, which has a similar. Uh, Cling, you know, they similarly cling to the past and to this idea uh, that a certain type of man is entitled to a certain type of success and a certain type of relationship with, with women. Yeah. <laughs> they get up to some hijinks. Hijinks is a cool way to call murders. <laughs> what the hell is a scold's bridle? Oh, um, so the the mask that the killer wears is, is based on an ancient not an ancient an old iron mask that men husbands used to put on their wives if their wives were nagging or gossipy um and when i was trying to figure out what the mask should look like i came across this crazy contraption um and thought it was just such an interesting it was a tool of oppression in the past and i thought it'd be interesting if it was like thrown back in the women's faces um and that they like were able to to overcome that same oppression. Yeah, I looked this up actually on Wikipedia oh, yeah. this morning it's and creepy. It scared the hell out of There's me. There's also something kind of like S and Emmy about it, like yes. if you, <laughs> which is kind of interesting too. Um, but yeah, I, I just you know these women in the movie are are learning to find their voices. Riley, played by Imogen Poots, especially, is just like it's a, it's really a movie about finding your voice and and finding your strength in yourself and in your community and this scold's bridle was something that people used in the past to keep women from being able to, to vocalize yeah it's chilling isn't it yeah um i like that you use that as an inspiration thanks um in the film it, it just adds another deeper layer to the whole thank you uh, level of misogyny <laughs> in our world the weapons you one of your villains has a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. I screamed so loud in the screen last night. Really? It was so terrifying to me. Just the sound and the... Because you, when you see bows and arrows, it's always like they're fighting off in the distance and you don't really hear mm-hmm. it or realize how much impact yeah. bodily harm it can do. Why did you choose that? I think we wanted to play around with this idea that, that these killers don't see the women as humans and um, they see them as something to be hunted. I think there's like this idea of men hunting women that's kind of implicit in the film and I think the bow and arrow signifies that. It's interesting. And then there's an unlikely weapon that you had in the film. Um, In the beginning you make a big deal of Riley's friend returns a dress to (laughs) her. It's been dry cleaned and she says no I I don't want the dress. Thanks you can keep it. And then later on, I realized, oh my gosh, that must be the dress that she wore when yeah. she was assaulted. Exactly. And then 
she turns around and uses the dress as a weapon. Yeah. That was so masterfully done. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, the, in the original Black Christmas, one of the, the first woman who's killed gets killed by a plastic dry cleaning bag. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to take the weapons that the killers used in the original and, and give those same weapons to the women to kill the bad guy in this one. Um, and, yeah, that, that dress represents past trauma for Riley and the fact that she's able to use it and wield that weapon and, and take her power back. It's like a really, really beautiful, I think, symbol of moving through your pain and through your trauma and, and finding your strength and fighting back. It's one of the best symbols I've seen. Cool. In a long time. Thank you. So well done Thanks. on that. So a lot's been made about you being the female director of this mm -hmm. big horror film, and you're one of very, very few female writer-directors in horror. Why do you think it's been so hard for women to break through? And how did you break through? Um, you know, I think it's been hard for women to break through in all genres of film. I mean, it's very traditionally been a very male-dominated field. Um, I look. I don't know exactly why, but I do find some parts of the horror community—not not the fans or anything, but just like the movies—can feel sometimes a little exploitative of women. I think for a long time, women's deaths were used to titillate audiences, and as a female audience member, would kind of leave me feeling kind of yucky. Um, and so perhaps it seemed like a less inviting genre. At the same time, there are some like incredible movies with really strong, powerful women and final girls and and. That's certainly true as well, and, and certainly there have been a lot of men who've made great movies about women, um, both in horror and outside of horror. But yeah, I think that there's maybe something that has felt gratuitous, especially you know a lot of slasher films that have maybe made me you know made me question whether this is really the genre that I want to participate in. But then. You know, companies like Blumhouse, who made this movie, are really great about making movies that are scary and fun, but have a social message. And I think that's sort of, that opened my eyes to what you can do with horror. And that's been a trope in horror films for a long time, is like making a movie that on the surface seems like it's about one thing, but it's actually about another. Um, and, and I think that's a really exciting way of exploring the genre. And that's sort of been what I've brought to all my work is, even like the less traditionally horror movies that I've made, they're more like psychological dramas and thrillers, I guess, um, have been taking a movie that you can you can watch and have fun watching and it can be scary and exhilarating, but also is like talking about a, a deeper issue or a darker aspect of humanity that might be worth looking at. You directed a piece for Into the Dark. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about that, how you got that, and then how that led to Black um, Christmas. I made a movie called Always Shine, which is like with Mackenzie Davis, which is a dark psychological horror movie that um, is about two women who are friends and don't, it's about a friendship that's disintegrating. And um, Blumhouse saw that movie and liked it and had this project called New Year, New You that they wanted to make for the Into the Dark series that was about female friendships that were dissolving and so they approached me and thought that that might be a good fit and I had a lot of fun making that movie and working with Blumhouse and they really liked the movie that I made and so when it came time for them to find someone to write and direct Black Christmas they they thought of me because I had made that movie and I had done it on a really fast timeline and one of the things about this movie is that I was approached in like 
February or March of this year, 2019, and now it's December and the movie's coming out, So and there was no script, so like it all had to happen really fast. Wow, not even a script. Just a title and a release date. That's what we got. And, um, and, and at first I was really scared uh, and didn't know if I'd be able to pull it off, but they really believed in me, and, and I think we made something really special. Uh, so how many days did it take to shoot? We had a 27-day shoot in like six or seven weeks of pre-production. We had a couple months to write the script prior to that, and then April came out to New Zealand with me, and we kept working on the script while I was prepping with the rest of the crew. What was the biggest challenge getting the script right? I think what was really important to me was not having it just be like a super black and white idea of good versus evil, men versus women. I wanted lots of different point of points of view in the movie, and I wanted all of the points of view to be like given their proper due. And so, you know, finding the balance between wanting to have, you know, I, I wanting my own point of view about the world to be clear and in there, but also making sure to acknowledge that, like, you know, in the scene where Nate and Marty fight, Nate being like, "Why are you allowed to say all this shit about men?" and I just have to sit here and I can't say anything about women. Like, that's a fight I've had in my own <laughs> relationship many times. And, you know, just wanting to acknowledge that these growing pains that men and women are going through right now are growing pains for both sides. And it's just about like hearing each other's experiences and voices and, and like being open to the other person's experience. When did you know you had the script ready to go? Uh, on the day we started shooting. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of had to be right. Yeah. <laughs> did you make any mistakes, do you think? Yeah, I think probably, you know, like, there's definitely mistakes I see when I watch the movie in terms of just like I wish I had taken more time to shoot that scene or I wish I had gotten more coverage from that scene um but I think what was so fun about this timeline and how fast we had to make this movie was that everything was kind of intuitive and everything was came from an emotional and feeling and intuitive place that felt like a really creatively exciting way to make a movie that I was never second guessing myself and I was really in the moment and really present and that this what came out of me and April and the whole everyone who made the movie was just like this kind of like purging of maybe a little bit of the rage we were feeling in 2019 like with everything that's going on and all the conversations that we're having and a little bit of the excitement about the fact that things might be shifting and moving forward and I feel like that combination of rage and excitement allowed us to make like a really vibrant movie that feels alive and feels of the moment. So how did you get uh, your first break? Maybe you can tell me about your background. Did you go oh, to yeah. film school? I know you're an actress too. Yeah, I started off wanting to act and I, I did go to college I went and I studied film there. Um, I, wa I wanted to be an actor even when, though I was studying film but I thought like oh maybe I'll meet some directors and they'll put me in their student films. Um, and when I was in college I met my now husband who was my TA at the time in our movie musicals class. And we started making movies together right away. He is an incredible writer-director, um, and I started off acting in a movie that he directed called Gabby on the Roof in July, which I produced and edited, and it was like a really low-budget movie. And then from there, I watched him direct, and it looked really fun, so I decided to direct a movie that he was in, um, and our roommate at the time was in, called Green. Um, and I loved directing, and I, was, I acted in that movie, and, and it went to South by Southwest, and people seemed to like respond more to me as a director than an actor so I was like oh I guess maybe that's where I should be focusing um, and then I directed another movie called Always Shine uh, which I didn't act in and that was kind of when I was just like oh no I, I definitely 
prefer directing to acting. I think as an actor, I felt a little bit powerless. Um, and as a director, I feel more in my, I just feel, I feel more like I can be who I want to be and, and not feel like I'm trying to please so many people. I'm really just there to please myself. That's great. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for uh, writers trying to break through? Say I have a really great indie script. Yeah. What should I do? I, I, I had a lot of luck making my own movies for very little money with people that I knew. Um, and I've always kind of approached filmmaking as an art. And by that I mean that process of making the thing is the art, not the final product. And thinking about like thinking about the movie production almost as a play that you're putting on with your friends and finding the joy in the, 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 the process and the making of the thing I think will help in case like you know if a movie doesn't do as well as you want it or not as many people see it like the the joy that comes from the, the art of the communal nature of making a movie I think is the most exciting aspect anyway so I should just go home and make a movie yeah just go home and make a movie that's <laughs> what I would say if you have the means and it doesn't have to cost a lot because technology is really cheap right now I, I think it's I think doing things is the way to keep doing things that's great advice what are you working on next uh, I wait, Annalie. Can I talk about the thing now that I told the New York Times? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can't talk about it. <laughs> so you have another movie. I have some stuff going on, and I'm really excited to continue to make movies. I think that, like, you know, explore again these darker aspects of our our ourselves and of the human condition. Maybe in horror, but also maybe like in other genres as well. So you'll probably go into other genres beyond. I her. hope to. You know, When Harry Met Sally is my favorite movie. Love the movie. And I'd really love to make a movie like that. It's the best movie. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you doing a, a, a Thanks. very deep, well thought out, Wouldn't neurotic rom com. I just don't know. If, I mean, they've all been so good. The ones that have come already. I don't know if there's room for more. But what do you hope people will get out of Black Christmas? I really hope that it will spark a conversation between people who go to the movies together to see it, where they can talk about their own experiences and the other person can listen in a non-defensive way and to just hear what other people are going through and maybe see the world in a different way than they, they had seen it before. Well, I wish you the absolute best of luck. Thank you. With you your too. upcoming projects Thank that you, you can't talk about. <laughs> It's always the problem. Um, I can't wait to um, follow your career. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. You too. Thank you. Thanks.